0: Welcome, I'm Doug Morgan, and you're listening to Uncommon Sense, where we hunt for the truth in the topics you're not supposed to talk about, Christianity and politics. It was just a few years ago that I was having a conversation with a pastor friend of mine about the Second Amendment and gun control. And this individual is from Australia originally and still has a lot of family there. And he could not understand why our right to bear arms here in the U.S. was so important to us. He said that Australia had gone through a major disarming of its citizens and many were pretty happy with it and and even the results of it. He could not understand why we saw owning A firearm was something that we would literally fight for. If you reduce the amount of guns in a society, then it will be much safer of a place, was his thinking. Well, I made two points to him in an attempt to really show him the fallacy of his thinking. Number one, taking away firearms from law abiding citizens does not stop criminals from using them. In fact, quite the opposite can be cited and in fact let me cite a few of those things for you and and i want you to listen carefully to some of these these statistics because some of the people that i've kind of questioned about it and kind of quizzed and said hey what do you think the number would be here have not even gotten close to the actual numbers so number 1 guns prevent an estimated 3 million crimes a year or 8,200 crimes every day. Most often, the gun is never fired and there's no blood, including the, the criminals, that's shed. And you may say, where in the world would you get that kind of figure? 3 million crimes a year are prevented with guns? Yeah, that actually came from a CDC report uh, from from 2012, that was ordered by President Obama, and that was the figure they came back with. Every year, 400,000 life-threatening violent crimes are prevented using firearms. That's 400,000. That's almost half a million life-threatening violent crimes are prevented by using firearms. 60 percent of convicted felons admitted that they avoided committing crimes when they knew that the victim was armed. 40% of convicted felons admitted that they avoided committing crimes when they thought the victim might be armed. So they didn't even know if the victim was armed or not, but they might be armed. 40% said, yeah, we're going to avoid that person. Felons report that they avoid entering houses where people are at home because they fear they might be shot. And here's here's one for you here. Fewer than 1% of firearms are used in the commission of a crime. Fewer than 1% of firearms are used in the commission of a crime. And the other point that I made to, to my pastor friend is that it is an armed citizenry that helps keep the government in check a government is is a lot less likely to turn tyrannical if its citizens are able to fight back i mean that's just common sense or uncommon sense in today's day and age now many of you have heard reports or seen video of what is happening right now in australia it it is a good thing to, to take a look at what's happening here, why it's happening, and what we can really learn from it here in the U.S. And in an article by Suzanne Edwards, and she's uh, she was writing for americasfirstfreedoms.org. Uh, it was a, an article that came out late last uh, last month, and it says, I remember the chilly autumn afternoon of April 28th, 1996, vividly, she says, I was just a carefree child uh, careening through my parents' living room in rural uh, Australia when I saw my mother weeping as she watched the news. Hours earlier, in the Tasmanian tourist town of Port Arthur, a lone and deranged murderer had embarked on a brutal rampage. When he was finally stopped, 35 people were dead and another 23 were wounded. And it was the worst mass shooting Australia had ever seen. And the island would never be the same again. The Australian Parliament immediately began working toward comprehensive gun control legislation under the umbrella of the National Firearms Agreement, the NFA. It was comprised of a mandatory buyback program. I love that word, by the way, buyback, because the government didn't own that gun. To begin with, so to buy it back is kind of a misnomer, but it, this this particular NFA was comprised of a mandatory buyback program they called it and a uh, a prohibition on automatic and self automatic or semi-automatic rifles and pump action shotguns. Now, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop here just for a second and say that that particular uh, massacre that happened there in Australia was done with handguns. It wasn't even done with semi-automatic rifles or pump action shotguns, but that's what they ended up banning. Uh, It also put into place new licensing requirements. Uh, They adopted a national firearm registry uh, and and this thing was established and the government instituted a 28-day waiting period for gun purchases. Now, more than 700,000 firearms were handed to the government at the cost of over 700 million dollars to the taxpayers. All six states and eight territories were compelled to adopt these new gun laws. Since the strategy, I'm sorry, since the tragedy, Australia has become the poster child for gun control. It is routinely touted by gun control advocates as the ultimate model for the US to follow. So predictable, predictably, of course, President Joe Biden <laughs> the following in in former President Barack Obama's footsteps is trying to sell the NFA as a facsimile for America. Of course they are, right? On this push toward uh, 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 toward the White House, Biden routinely advocated for an Aussie-like confiscation scheme. Vice President Kamala Harris, in fact, has taken an even more vehement approach. She said on the campaign trail that she would take executive action if Congress failed to implement further gun control laws within a hundred days. She has also spoken proudly of her experience as the California Attorney General uh, when her office put resources into allowing law enforcement to knock on the doors of people who were on two lists now with the lists entailing those prohibited from purchasing firearms and those deemed a danger to themselves or others that's a little scary don't you think and now that democrats hold the majority in the u.s house of representatives and the tiebreaker with Kamala Harris being the tiebreaker in a divided U.S. Senate, such a jarring perspective and and prospect is even more of a danger. So let's take a look at what the data shows. While it is accurate that Australia has only experienced a, a few mass murders in the decades since the tragedy, the truth is evident. A quarter of a century on, that the result of the NFA has been greatly misconstrued. Quote, several peer-reviewed studies since the Port Arthur massacre have proven that the implementation of a tough gun control measure, and, and of course this one being known as the National Firearms Agreement, have done nothing to reduce homicide or suicide rates With firearms, unquote. This is a quote from James Walsh, who is an executive officer at the Shooting Industry Foundation of Australia, the SIFA. Quote, given the data outlined in various studies, it can only be concluded that this exercise was simply a failure, unquote. Indeed, homicide data compiled from the Australian government's crime statistics wing highlights that the the country. Was already experiencing a drop in, in homicides in the years before this NFA had been enacted. Moreover, the the vastly smaller um, continent of of only really twenty five million residents. There's not a lot of people there. There's they kind of they kind of populate around the edges of of Australia because the center is just so hot and and uh, uninhabitable. Well, a drop uh, a, a a dollop um, compared. To the U.S. estimates of 330 million, we we have a whole lot more people here, and they had always had significantly lower murder rates. While Australia certainly has its share of problems, historically speaking, mass shootings were just never a prominent factor. In 2015, and in a report from the International Journal of Crime uh, Justice uh, Sciences um it also highlighted that um that quote a succession of studies from different research groups using a variety of different time series and analytical methods have considered whether there is evidence that the legislative uh, changes had significant imp- impact on firearm related deaths none of these studies has found a significant impact of um of the australian legislative changes on the pre-existing downward trend in firearm uh, homicides, unquote. So there it, there hasn't been an impact. These gun control laws and this, this buyback program has had no impact. Similarly, researchers from the University of Melbourne emphasized in 2008 that, quote, there is little evidence to suggest that the NFA had any significant effects on firearm homicides. That when Pointing to the confiscation component of the legislation, the report acknowledged that "quote the evidence so far suggests that in the Australian context, the high expenditure incurred to the fund to, to fund this this 1996 buyback uh, program has not translated into any tangible reductions in term of firearm deaths." Unquote. Now, as as several analyses. Have pointed out, it is not true that more guns equate to more murders. One can see this in the U.S. According to to data collected by the CDC in in 2018, the most recent data that that we have available, get this: California and Hawaii, which have some of the most stringent gun control laws in the country, had homicide rates. Of 4.8 per 100,000 and 3.1 per 100,000, respectively. Now, if you compare that to Idaho and New Hampshire, which, by contrast, have some of the the freest firearm laws in, on the books, these particular states had murder rates of 2.3 per 100,000 and 1.8 per 100,000, respectively. So that means they literally had about half when it came to the murder rates in these states that did not have restrictive gun control laws compared to those states that did. Now, even, even a, a 2018 probe widely considered the most thorough evaluation on the issue so far. they, they conduct, it, was, it was conducted by Florida State University's College of, of Criminology and Criminal Justice. They surmised that the Australian government's own data indicated that the effort failed to reduce homicides. It failed to reduce suicides, or you know, um, uh, even even when it came to unintentional firearm deaths, it did not reduce those. Adding that quote, it is even questionable whether the effort reduced mass shootings, the problem that had triggered the gun control effort in the first place. Unquote. Now it is also misleading for American politicians to say that the tight controls prevented further massacres or mass shootings that they they were infrequent to begin with in australia but that little factor does not stop the left leaning press and the and the political figures from championing a, a unquantifiable statistic so they can just say boy this this thing really had an effect on mass murders or, or mass shootings. And yet, where does that show? What proof do you have of that? It's unquantifiable. So let's look at the difference in culture and, and constitutionality. There, there are the matters of of com- countries' foundational cultures and and constitutions that are different here. While the Australian example may seem ripe for the Biden administration to, to stoke its anti-gun support base, well, Australia and America are literally and, and figuratively worlds apart. First, Australia's constitution does not protect the individual rights. It, as it does here in the US, it doesn't in Australia. Australia, in fact, does not even have a bill of rights. When Australians hand, handed over their guns to the government in 1996, they weren't surrendering their Second Amendment rights. the The Australian Constitution simply dictates that property seized by the government must be paid for, as this was, and you know, a campaign where monies were paid out, so they were within their constitution. So I, I guess I'm saying, in, in, in other words, they they were taxed their own money to pay for the mandatory purchase of their own guns. Does does this make any sense to you? I mean that they that they would pay their own money so that they could get their own money back and give up their guns. That doesn't seem right, does it? enacting an australian style gun control scheme statewide would it, it would be far different americans own over 400 million guns a lot more than the estimated few million in the in australia before this nfa implementation can anyone imagine federal agents just simply going door to door to confiscate However many semi-automatic firearms there are in America, in Australia, owners are subject to get this random drop-ins from authorities to ensure that only registered firearms are in any household and that they are really co- correctly locked up and stowed away. Can you imagine having the police just come into your house and look for that? When it comes to to leftists, and and the violent criminals uh, to them are, are a problem, but they're not the focus. Despite the NFA, there are, of course, still violent crimes occurring in Australia. In fact, these occur at around the same rate that they did pre-1996. Moreover, there are still black markets for guns, with an estimated 250,000 firearms in criminals' hands, And this was as per a a 2013 report published in the Australian equivalent of the Library of Congress for them. Quote, Australia needs to look at the data and the various studies since the 1996 reforms and be prepared to have a sensible conversation on gun laws and admit the failings in policy instead of continually trying to push the false line that Australia has the gold standard of gun laws in the world. And this was Walsh again saying this. Quote, all the 1996 reforms did was alienate every single law-abiding gun owner in in Australia and and waste taxpayer money, unquote. Now, from his lens, instead of continually attacking law-abiding firearm owners, various Australian governments would be better served to direct their attention at taking guns away from criminals. He says, quote, time and time again, we continually hear of crimes committed by criminals who are out on bail for violent crimes. The the recent Lindt Cafe uh, uh, siege in Sydney was perpetrated by an assailant with an unknown, unregistered, and already prohibited pump-action shotgun that he managed to obtain illegally. He was also out on bail at the time, despite being charged with assisting in the brutal killing of his ex-wife and 43 counts of sexual assault, Walsh said. And he was referring to the the, the 2014 terrorist siege. But, But after this terrorist attack, Australian lawmakers decided that Lever-action shotguns needed to be further restricted. <laughs> I mean, come on! Quote, lawmakers cited that they were a new technology, even though lever-action shotguns have been available for over 150 years. This is exactly the type of nonsense that Australians they, they need to review. Analysis of the NFA reveals it to be ineffective yet we still are hearing from the Biden administration and probably for the next three or four years at least about the triumph of the Australian program and its it, 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 its projected success here in the United States. So that leads us to my, my second point, to my Australian pastor friend. An armed populace is a greatly, a, a great deterrent to tyranny. In in an opinion piece by Candace Owens uh, of the Daily Wire, she said this, she said, my husband has a lot of family members who live in Australia. They're wonderful people, despite the fact that we don't always share the same politics. They are the kind of old school folks you you don't let politics get in the way of meaningful relationships. That's They just don't do that. Recently, we received a message from one of these family members, and she was expressing how the mental state of everyone here, uh, that that being Australia, uh, was in steep decline. She shared with him a, a message that she'd received from a friend of hers, a woman who lives in Queensland, and it's really genuinely shocking. It is a list of the COVID rules that she says Australian citizens are being made to follow. As you read this list, and I'm going to read this list here for you, I want you to do your best to imagine your life and your mental state if you were being made to abide by these rules. Number one, limited number of people allowed in your house. It's your house. You own it. You pay the mortgage on it. You pay the taxes on it. And yet the government says in Australia that you have a limited number of people that are allowed in your house by law, by penalty of the government. And number two, at various times, she says, we are told that we can't have any visitors at all. So <laughs> even though you, you may be limited to just a few people, There are times when you can't have anybody at all over to your house. Funerals are limited to between five and ten people. And I've even seen where they aren't even allowing some funerals at all. Curfews. There are curfews, of course, in Australia. You cannot go out of your house at certain times. Helicopters often patrolling the skies to ensure that everyone is abiding by the curfew this is just so bad. They're not allowed to go past five kilometers from their home. And that's, that's less than, than five miles from their home. They can't go any farther than that. I mean, it's just ridiculous. They're not allowed to sit down at many parks or, or, or beaches or, or public spaces. So it, they they just can't go there. They're, they're completely closed. <laughs> Here's one for you. In Australia, there's no dancing. Dancing is outlawed. Absolutely a no-no during these COVID times. Only one person per household is allowed to go shopping for essentials. Only essential shopping is allowed. And at times, the, the defense force and the police have checked what people are shopping for. International borders are closed. No one is allowed to leave the country. Small businesses are shut down while big businesses are allowed to operate. Kind of sounds like here a little bit there too, right? Citizens are are locked out of their home state. Thousands of them are not allowed to return unless they get vaccinated or they go through a, a slow, restrictive exemption request process. Families have have been refused access to attend funerals, like we just talked about. Yes, there is an application process for these these funerals, but oftentimes the funerals and the weddings even uh, are are denied. Re- Relatedly, many people have died without family beside them because there's a mandatory quarantine process to um, to to go through. And many people don't make it in time. One woman was only given access to her dying father in a hazmat suit. I mean, who's who's at danger here? The person who's dying? It doesn't make any sense. Protests have been declared illegal, despite the fact that protest is supposedly a constitutional right there. If you protest heavy armored police and uh, can, can pepper spray you or, or tear gas you or fire rubber bullets at you. And that's, you, many of us have seen many of those videos now where people are just getting nailed by this stuff. For the last 20 years, the United States has spent trillions of dollars in Afghanistan fighting a war, which we lost by the way, but we were told the war was necessary that the slaughtering of American sons and daughters on foreign soil was necessary because we were fighting for a noble cause to spread democracy in a tyrannical land to free an oppressed people. So I'll ask those same lecturing politicians and media members a question now. When do we deploy troops to Australia? Well, when do we invade Australia to keep Oppress people who are suffering under a totalitarian regime? When do we spend trillions of dollars to spread democracy in Australia? Australia is a tyrannical police state. Its citizens are quite literally imprisoned against their will right now. So when do we deploy? Of course, we all know the real answer. What is happening in Australia under the guise of a virus which, as of August 7th, 2021 experts estimate an overall recovery rate is between 97% and 99.75% and it is federal overreach tyranny and totalitarianism the kind that that gives birth to evil dictators and human rights atrocities we are watching a replay of the early ambitions of Joseph Stalin Adolf Hitler Fidel Castro and Hugo Chavez That's what's hiding beneath the guise of this fictitious, perpetual need to slow the spread. We all know the truth that what is happening in Australia was meant to happen here in America, that this current totalitarian uh, administration is fighting tooth and nail to trample states' rights and federalize America. If it weren't for Republican governors standing in the way, we'd be simply stripped of our most basic individual freedoms. Can anyone explain to me, by the way, in simple sentences, why the Australian government is any better off or, or any more noble than the Taliban? Both groups believe that they have the right to oppress and imprison people for their own good. Are, are Western governments any better? Can I, I can say honestly that I never thought I'd see a world war. But here we are. We are in the midst of an ideological and psychological global war. It is a war being waged by governments all over the world, from here to Australia, against their very citizens that they govern. And to that end, I say welcome to World War 3 and that's how she ends that. And and now I don't know about World War 3 but I will say that there is a battle for the hearts and minds of every f- free country in this world. The US has been the shining example of freedom and now we are seeing that shine get a little bit tarnished. Other countries like Australia are now shining examples of gun control. And 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 really they are they really aren't that. They are shining examples of why we need to maintain the God given freedoms we currently have. And you may agree and you may disagree with that, and I would love to hear from you. And you can always do that at uncommon sensepodcast.com. Thank you very much for listening. This podcast is a production of Morganite Communications.